It's my joy, privilege to open up the Word of God just for a few moments this morning. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 5. Now if you're a guest and you don't know what that is and you have a Bible in front of you, it's the very first book of the New Testament. So sort of the, the, the middle bit and you can find it there. If you're a guest and you don't have a Bible, don't worry, it's a really short reading and you can just follow it along uh, with me. So it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, I'm going to start reading from. And these are the words that Jesus says here. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, and he says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, and praise your Father in heaven. When we open up uh, the first pages of the Bible, we are struck by the fact that the very first thing that God creates or speaks into being is light. And it says this, that God said, let there be light, and there was light. And it's his first creative act in the context of the Bible. Now, what's really interesting is that although he speaks light into being, it's not until day four of the creative order that the the sun and the moon are actually made. So you get this weird uh, conundrum that that actually light is powering the universe uh, before the sun and the moon are actually made. Now, at at a scientific level, that's a bit of a challenge to us, but at a theological level, uh, that's not such a challenge. Because right there in the beginning of time, the beginning of our world, uh, we're being taught a very dynamic and powerful uh, idea that light is not dependent, at least God's light is not dependent on the sun. That actually God's light comes from him. And this powerful light breaks into the universe and brings transformation. That idea is sort of followed up right at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation. And in that that heavenly city, it says this, For the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. So we get this sort of top and tail in the Bible, right in the very first page of the Bible, God creates light. And the light isn't dependent on anything physical or or, or the sun and the moon. It's coming from Him. And then right at the end of the Bible, in the eternal city, in the heavenly city, we're told that actually the glory of God gives light to the city. So the the, 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 the city doesn't need the sun or the moon. And this theme runs through the whole of the scriptures. The idea that we're introduced to at the very beginning and the idea that we're introduced to at the very end that God's light is extremely powerful. And actually, His light has the power to change every and any circumstance. It's not surprising then, when Jesus comes into the world, He says, I am the light of the world. And in fact, uh, earlier on, he speaks of his own people in the Old Testament, and he declares them to be a light for the Gentiles. 
And here in this context, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says to his followers and those who would like to be his followers, he says, you are the light of the world. What's being reinforced there is this incredible idea that light is powerful and it has the power to change any circumstance of darkness. And actually, that's reinforced over and over again. And even if we don't know the science of light and how it works, you and I know the power of light. We just know that actually when we put on a, a little light, it can, it can chase away the darkness of any room. Here's what I've discovered. Light always wins over darkness. It always, it's, it's never, you know, there's never a moment where that's in doubt. Even if it's a small light or a weak light, it always wins over darkness. And, and even if we don't know the science of that, we know the experience of that. That when we turn on the light, the darkness runs away. Now, when Jesus is speaking here on this, this hillside to this huge crowd of people, he's not trying to get them convinced about the power of light. I think that crowd will intuitively know the power of light. Jesus, rather, is talking about the positioning of the light. Now, this is a powerful idea I want us to understand. Jesus isn't standing up making a case for the power of light. He's making a case instead for the positioning of the light. And here's what Jesus is teaching his followers, that actually, if we can get the light into the right sorts of places, the light has the power itself to change that world. The issue is not whether God's light is powerful. The issue is where it's positioned. Amen? That's the issue here. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5. Not the power of light, but the positioning of that light. And it's an absolutely crucial idea. I have my little uh, iPhone here. And some of you will have, a, will have a similar phone. And I have a little light with that. I was, I was uh, uh, out recently in, on holiday uh, and we were going somewhere and there, there wasn't very much light. And I immediately reached for my phone. And that little light guided us on the path. And it's a small little thing, a tiny little thing. But even that has the power to chase away the darkness. So the issue for my iPhone is not whether that light works or not. It does. And in fact, even if I turned, we turned all the lights of this room off, that light would dispel darkness, even though it's tiny, small. The issue here is not whether the light in my iPhone is powerful or not. The issue is where I put it. If I put that light in my pocket, come on, the light is actually still shining. You can just see it coming through my jeans. It's still shining. The light in there is still powerful. The power of the light has not been diminished. What's been diminished is the influence of the light. Because I put the light in a really unhelpful place. So, so actually when I pull it out, look, it's still shining. It's still going. Its power was never at any stage diminished. But actually, it's where I put it will determine its influence. 
And actually, that's right at the heart of what Jesus is talking about in the context of this, this passage. He's saying to this crowd, you're the light of the world. He's not saying, he's not trying to get them to understand that light's powerful. They've already got that. Light's powerful. He's saying this. Now, if you are the light of the world, where are you going to position yourself? So that God's light, so that the light of this message, the light of this kingdom, the light of his world will be seen in the darkness. Does that make sense? And that's what Jesus is after here. And he does it in the most amazing way. And it's this that I want to just leave with you. It's not the power of the light that's the issue. It's the position. If we have the confidence in the power of the light, God's light in our world, and we have the confidence and the courage to position that light in strategic or appropriate places, the light has the power to change the darkness. The light has the power to change the circumstances we're in. The light has the power to touch and influence the people around us. And so you and I are called to have confidence in that light and to have the confidence to position that light where it can be most influential. Does that make sense? And so, when we look at the words of Jesus, we, three, we see really quickly three dynamically powerful ideas when it comes to the positioning of the light. First of all, the light is positioned intentionally. Now, I want you to see this. This is a big idea in the teaching of Jesus. Look at what he says. He gives us two images. He talks about a city on a hill, and he talks about a lamp on a stand. Now, he's essentially given us two pictures that are sort of saying the same thing. He's it's a double emphasis on the one idea. And look at what he says. He says in verse 14, he says, a city on a hill. And then in verse 15, it's speaking of the lamp, he says, they put it on a stand. Now it's really easy to miss that, but what Jesus is saying is this that actually there is a deliberate intentional decision to place the light in a particular place so that it is most influential. So the city is not in a valley, the city is on a hill, so that the light of the city can throw itself over the hills, over the valleys, and over the whole context. So wherever you are, you can see the light. So the city is built on the hill, and the lamp, when it's lit, lit is put on the lampstand so that it maximizes its influence in its world. And actually, this is what Jesus is saying, that, that when it comes to the light, we've got to be intentional. We, we, we've got to be deliberate. We, we've got to be people who say, like we heard from Monica today, the light of Jesus is inside me. That light is powerful. Therefore, where am I going to put it? Not so many amens there. <laughs> if you're a follower of Jesus, God's light is in you. Even if you feel weak and small, His light is in you. You're a changed person. You've been transformed by the power of His love. So His light is within you. His light will always win over the darkness. His light is powerful. So, so my challenge is not really about the light. My challenge is, Lord, where do I need to put this light? Where can I position myself 
Where can we position ourselves so that the light, can I say this reverently, gets a chance to shine? So that we, we, take it, we take it out of our pockets and we put it somewhere where it will actually work. You see, the issue is not the power of the light, the issue is the positioning of the light. That's our responsibility. The power of the light is Jesus' responsibility. The positioning of the light is ours. Come on, are you with me? So actually what you and I have got to think about is, What's the best position? Holy Spirit, when I think about my street, when I think about my friends, when I think about my workplace, when I think about my life, what would be a good position for this light? Where, where are there opportunities for me to shine for you? And in an earlier ministry context, we had a lady in our church who was uh, fantastically uh, transformed by Jesus from a completely unchurched background and she had come in and, and really encountered Jesus, really got saved. Do you know what I mean? Uh, not just got some information, but really got it. And, and her life changed. In fact, her life changed so much that her husband freaked out a little bit about it. Uh, and he, he, you know, it was the inevitable stuff. He thought she'd joined a cult. He thought she was being brainwashed. He saw a change in her, but he was a bit nervous and a bit, a bit edgy about the change. And so uh, she was feeding this back to us. And you're trying to find ways to help her and reach him. You know, you don't want, you don't want her to push him away. But at the same time, there's a bit of a window of opportunity. So I say to this lady, what does your husband like to do? Has he any hobbies? Is there any ways we can connect to him? And she said, well, he likes to play squash. So I heard my mouth say, oh, I play squash. <laughs> now, when I say I play squash, I can hold the racket at the right end and more or less consistently hit the black ball. That, that, that's, a, that's about, that's a, I'm not great at it, but I played it a few times. So I wasn't telling lies. I have played it. I did enjoy it. But I, in truth, I wasn't great at it. And by the sounds of it, he was, he was really good. So I said to, to her, do you think he would play squash with me? She said, I don't know. Ask him. So I did. I said, would you like to go for a game of squash? Incredibly, he said, yes. And so we went to play squash together. And in fact, we played squash together for about five to six weeks every week. And every week he thrashed me. Now, I would love to be able to tell you I was letting him thrash me in order to open up the door for Jesus to minister to him. But he was really thrashing me and he was humiliating me. And, and you know, although I'm not great at squash, I don't like losing at anything. Do you know, I really did want to hit Goliath's head there. I, I really did. I wanted to win. And I like winning. I've never enjoyed losing. And so after about five to six weeks, I'm getting a bit fed up with this, to be honest losing and so we were in the, we were in the changing room and we were uh, had a shower we we're getting dried off and in the midst of getting dried off he just starts talking to me about God in the five to six weeks up to that point the G word had never been mentioned not once and he suddenly starts talking to me about God. And he's, he, he's, he's a great believer in, in science and, and evolution. And he, and he just starts going for it. And he says, evolution answers all the questions for me. Science gives me all the answers. I, I, I don't believe in religion. Don't believe in God. Don't believe there is a God. Don't believe in a point. And he just, just went for it for about 10 minutes while he's drying himself off. It was sort of 
fascinating and uncomfortable all at the same time uh, watching this man do this. And so I just let him talk. I just let him go for it. But, but when he finished, I, I, I felt the Holy Spirit just give me a little response to him. And I said this, I said, listen, science may be able to answer all the questions how the world came about, although we could have a conversation about that. Science may be able to answer how the world came about, but, but what about why? Why it came about? And it was one of those weird moments I, I've rarely, genuinely rarely experienced in my life, where it was like, it was like this man was hit on the head with a hammer. It was like he had heard something for the very first time. And it got to him. Now, to me, that was a pretty obvious question. But to him, he had never heard this before. And it was like the Holy Spirit hit him on the head with a hammer. And he just went, he just stopped. And he looked at me. And this is a man at this stage in his life in his mid-30s with children. And here's what he says. I've never thought about that before. He'd, he'd never thought about why. He'd always ever just talked about how. And what? But he had never thought about why. Why he was here. Why his life was the way it was. Why he was made. Why he was trying to be a good husband. Why he was paying his mortgage every month. Why, why, why. He had no, never really addressed that question. And yet in that moment in the changing room, I just confronted him with a simple option. Within a few weeks, he had become also a follower of Jesus. Now listen, listen, I'd, I'd love to tell you it was because of my genius argument. I'd love to tell you, you know, it was, it was my magnificent apologetics that led him to Jesus. The reality is, the main reason he got to Jesus was because the light was in the changing room. He wasn't coming to church. He was never coming to church. He was never going to darken the door of a church. So, so the light had to go to him. And go to his world and go into his darkness and actually turn on a little bit of a light just in that changing room. Just flick a little bit of a light on. A little why question, flick the light on. And suddenly a man in darkness saw a little bit of light. And he started incredibly to move towards that light. And eventually he experienced the change that only Jesus can bring in a life. Ladies and gentlemen, the issue is not whether the light's powerful or not. The issue is where it's positioned. And there are thousands of people in Birmingham who will never darken the door of a church of any shape or size or flavor. So for those people, we've got to be thinking, how do we go to them? How do we position ourselves into their world? And we're not talking about programs. We're not talking about special events and special speakers. We're talking about all the hundreds of people in this room without a special program, without a special speaker, just positioning themselves as light in the darkness. Imagine if even just three quarters of us or half of us tomorrow morning got up and said, Holy Spirit... Is there somewhere my light could sit today that could shine your kingdom into somebody's world? Imagine if, we, imagine if every Christian of every church in Birmingham sort of did that. We're so often relying on the special program when the light's within you. There's no greater light in me that's in you. There's no greater light in you that's in me. We are the light carriers of the Lord. So actually, it's not actually about the person. It's about what the person's carrying. 
and where that person says, does that make sense? So maybe if you and I as followers of Jesus said, Lord, there's a light inside me. There's a dark world around me. In my everyday life, is there somewhere you want me to go? Is there a dressing room you want me to sit in? Is there a game of squash you want me to have? Do you know what I mean? Literally or metaphorically. Does that make sense? And if we never open ourselves up to these possibilities, then, then actually we just get caught up in the busyness of life and, and actually miss an opportunity. See, Monica doesn't have to try very hard with, with a message of hope and light because of what we've heard this morning. The, 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 the issue will just be Monica positioning herself in a place where that message of hope and light can be heard and seen. Because it just speaks. It speaks to our world. So Jesus says the light is positioned by intention. Secondly, he says this, the light is positioned for impact. Really quickly, stay with me now. Look at what he says, verse 14, speaking about the city. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Look at that, it can't be hidden. If you position it properly, no one can ignore it. May not like it, but they can't ignore it. And then he says this, verse 15, speaking of the lamp on the stand, he says, and it gives its light to everyone in the house. Not just the person who owns the lamp or the person who lit the lamp, but everybody in the house gets the benefit of the light because it's positioned for impact. And when Jesus came to earth, he he positioned himself for impact. He allowed himself to be open to the possibility of impacting his world. And actually, do you know, we've got a fantastic message, a fantastic gospel. We're part of a fantastic church. And and the truth is, most people in our world don't really know this exists. Do you know what I've discovered? Like genuinely, most people out there are not rejecting Jesus. Most people there have never actually encountered Jesus to reject Jesus. They're they're, they're sort of rejecting maybe religion or they're rejecting what they think God is or what they think Jesus is. But actually, most of them are not actually rejecting Jesus because most of them have never actually met Jesus to reject Jesus. They've never met anyone like you. They've never met someone who's literally had their life transformed by the reality of Jesus Christ. They've never actually met someone who who can talk about Jesus, not as a thing in heaven, not as an idea or a concept, but as a living reality. Most people have never met someone like that. So when they get get the chance to meet someone like that, it can change everything. I, I, I have the joy and privilege many times like Pastor Mark of, of traveling around the country and even the different parts of the world and when I'm flying long haul I, I try where possible for, uh, in the economy section to get the seats at the front of economy you know the bulkhead seats because you've got more leg room it's like a business class upgrade in economy and so so you, you're sort of trying to get the bulkhead seats and of course everybody wants them and the airlines have now got on to this so they're now charging for the bulkhead seat the stinkers uh, it's expensive enough and now they're charging you to sit there and I remember I was flying uh, to, to the Far East 
And so I, I got to check in and I said to the girl, any chance of a bulkhead seat? She says, yes. I, I said, any chance of an aisle bulkhead seat? She said, yes. Uh, and I went, wow, that's amazing. Thank you. I'll have it. She says, now listen, uh, there is a possibility that young children will be sitting close to you. So I was about to get onto a plane for 14 hours. And she said, there might be young children sitting close to you. So your bulkhead seat, your aisle seat, it, it might, you know, you, you might be surrounded by family. She said to me, are you okay with that? I said, I've got my noise reduction headphones. I'm absolutely fine. Uh, we're we're going to have a go. So I got on the plane uh, and as I'm walking to my seat, I can see it. I can see it sort of through the curtain. And I got to my seat uh, and as I got to it, uh, there was a lady sitting on the middle seat with a baby who I later discovered was 18 months old and a little girl who was three years old on the inside seat. Her first words to me was, I'm sorry. <laughs> that's absolutely true. I'm not making, that's not, this is not a sermon illustration. This is absolutely true. She said to me, I'm sorry. And I, I said, you know, oh, don't worry. I was trying to be Mr. Cool. Oh, don't worry about it. You know, I've got three kids of my own. I know what it's like. And we, we, we ended up sitting down, chatting, knowing that I had my noise reduction headphones in my bag. And we got, we got chatting. And, and I heard my mouth say to her, it's a bit, bit weirdest, but my, my wife will bear this out. I, I heard my mouth say to her, if you need any help with the baby... Seriously. Now, they said, well, John, that's a normal human thing to do. Well, well, it is and it isn't for me. Dawn will tell you, uh, listen, uh, let me just confession time. I was not a great baby dad. Okay. Maybe I shouldn't have used this illustration. Maybe this is the wrong story to tell. I, uh, we have three children, and I changed a total of about eight nappies. Not, not eight each eight between them um, so you know like, what, what, what if my children would fill their nappy and I would go Dawn there's something wrong with this baby smelly um, now, now Dawn my wife's amazing she's an amazing woman she makes me look much better than I am genuinely and I was not a great baby. I, I just admire modern dads and they're doing the baby stuff I mean I was in a I was in a restaurant this very week and there was a dad with two babies like like feeding both babies at the same time. I've never seen that, but I'm just amazed. I'm looking at that thinking, I, I'm not even a Christian. I couldn't even have done that. <laughs> Amazing. So I wasn't a great baby dad with my own babies. I mean, I think they still love me. You're looking at me like I'm not saved now. I, I, think, I think my kids still love me. And I have asked Jesus to forgive me. Um, so, so for me to say, I'll take the baby, was, was like, as soon as it was out of my mouth, I'm thinking, and so anyway the inevitable happened we're halfway through the flight she's having a terrible time with the wee boy he just won't sleep the wee girl's fast asleep and he just won't, won't he's not wearing it and she's covered in stuff bless her heart and I said to her here give him to me so I said super super dad give him give him to me so I took the baby and we walked around economy. I was really tempted. It was in the middle of the night. I was really tempted to walk into business class and just upset them all. But I, I didn't do that. So I just walked around the economy section, a big long section. And as we walked around, he settled down and he was fine. And actually, I walked around with him for about 40 minutes. 
which was great for me, actually, because I was just stuck in the seat. So, uh, so, so walked around. By that time, she got herself cleaned up, and she'd sorted herself out, and she felt like a human being again. So she sat back down, and I came back with the baby, and he was really settled. I was feeling quite good about myself, and I handed the baby to her. Here's what she said to me, not a word of a lie. Listen to this. She said to me, why would you do that for me? It was really weird. I thought that was a weird response. I thought, well, it's, it's like a, it's a nice thing to do. It's a human thing to do. She said, why would you help me like that? And I said to her, well, look, look the, the truth is, I'm not only a dad, and I'm not only you know, someone who's experienced this, but, I, but actually, I'm a follower of Jesus. Uh, and I, I just went for it. And I said, you know, as a follower of Jesus, well, one of the things I want to try and do is be kind to people and good to people and, and like, help people around me. And she started to cry. Turns out she was, she was a young woman who was backslidden, had once followed Jesus, had once been in church, had once been part of a vibrant Christian community, and life and stuff and all the malarkey of, of living just got to her, and she found herself drifting, drifting, drifting far away. And, and we ended up sitting together for about 45 to 50 minutes talking about Jesus, not talking about church, not talking about me, talking about Jesus. She was on her way to Australia, and I was able to connect her to a a fantastic church in the city she was going to. Now, what happened to her? I don't know. Did she become a Christian? I don't know. Did she join that church? I don't know. Uh, Did she ever think about me? Probably not. But for a moment, light came into her darkness. And it comes into her darkness. Listen. It came into her darkness, not because I'm super dark, because I'm not, like genuinely I'm not, not a very, you know, sometimes I wake up and I can't spell the word dad, so I'm, I haven't, do, do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not because I'm trying to tell you I'm super dad, it was because I saw an opportunity, saw a need, and I thought, well, I can help, that was it, nothing brilliant, nothing supernatural or spectacular, it was just, she's struggling. And I can help her with this struggle at this moment. Do you know, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. You actually don't need to pray for opportunities. You just need to open your eyes. You still love me? Seriously. We don't need to pray. You need to stop praying. You know, Lord, Lord, show me the opportunities in that sense. There's a sense in which, let's pray those prayers as we, we talked about in that. But actually, even without praying those prayers, if, if we just open our eyes... There will be, metaphorically or literally, bums with babies on their knee, just looking for a bit of help. It's somebody somewhere, a bit of love, a bit of care, a bit of tenderness, not just because we're good humans, but because we're followers of Jesus. We're not just doing good for good's sake, we're doing good because that's what Jesus' followers do. We're not just doing good to convert them, we're doing good because they need our goodness. And because they're sitting in darkness and I need to just turn my little light on for a moment and let them see the light of God. Does that make sense? So the issue is not the power of the light, the issue is the position of the light. Just for a wee moment before I draw this to a conclusion. Maybe there's someone in your world and and they may not come to church, they, they, they may not come to an event, but there's something in their world that if you and I took a moment with them, it could create the light, opportunity into their world. Can I help you with that? Can I cut your grass for you? 
I notice you're struggling with your shopping. Can I take you? Can I take your kids for a morning and give you a rest? We're taking our kids to the cinema. Could we take yours? Come on. It doesn't have to be spectacular. In fact, most of the time, it'll be ordinary. But it's me and you being intentional. Here, here's the last idea, and I'm finished. Five minutes, and we are done. Is that, is that okay, Pastor Mark? Go to 12.30. Is that all right? Okay, here we go. Um, so, the last idea is this. That, that the light is positioned to bring illumination. It's positioned to illuminate. Look at what it says. Jesus says this, verse 16, in the same way. So he says, the city on a hill can't be hidden. The light on the lamp gives light to everyone. Not the two big illustrations he uses. And then he says this, verse 16, the lamp, this idea, he says, in the same way. So in the same way that the city is light into the countryside in the same way that the lamp positioned brings light to everyone. He's saying now, in that same way, you shine. Look at his words. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The, the, the definition of illumination or to illuminate is this, to light up, to help or to clarify or to explain. To illuminate is to light something up. And we have men and women, boys and girls, young people all around us in darkness and they don't even know they're in darkness. Many of them are not aware that what they're experiencing is a spiritual darkness. They just think it's life. They're not trying to be bad. Most of them are just trying to survive. Now, I know there's bad people out there. I know there's people doing bad stuff. But most humans I've met are not bad. Most of them are just trying to survive. And they don't know they're in a spiritual darkness. They, they're just living life as they've always known it. And it's not until someone flips a light on that they go, there is an alternative reality. There is something else out there. My first big missions trip was to Ghana in West Africa. And I had the most amazing time. I was out for a month. I was out for 27 days and I preached for 29 times in the 27 days. It was amazing. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Any Ghanaians in the room? Uh, one or two, come on. Fell in love with Fufu. Absolutely loved Fufu. Enjoyed all of that going on. Uh, I, I had an amazing, amazing time. And while I was there, I was based mostly in Kamasi, which is the second largest city in, uh, in Ghana. But while I was there, uh, there was an invitation that came from a, from a pastor and his wife who were pioneering a little church way out in the bush. I mean, way out in the sticks. And so uh, the, the pastor said, look, uh, such and such pastor has asked, would you possibly go and do an evening Bible study for him? And I said, of course, let's do it. So we got in the taxi, which was a prayerful experience all by itself. Uh, the Ghanaians will know what I'm talking about. And we drove out into the bush. Uh, and we, we seemed to be going for miles and miles and miles. And we eventually arrived at this lovely little place. And when we got there, at the church, the building, was just a slab of concrete, probably twice the floor space of the stage. And then it didn't have any walls. It had sort of a corrugated iron roof. 
and just like wooden pillars and then wooden benches. That was it, right? And a 60 watt light bulb hanging down from the ceiling. That was it. That's all we had. And so ready to go. And of course, the service starts. There's, a, there's three people there. By the time I got up to preach, it's packed. People just came from everywhere. Just came out of the darkness. By the time we're preaching, it's dark. And, and, and the people just come. And it's packed out. Absolutely heaving. Uh, you know, literally squeezed up against each other on the benches. It's just amazing. And I get up to preach under the 60-watt white bulb, uh, light bulb in the midst of the African bush. And uh, I, I, before the days of iPad, so I had my Bible and my little notebook on top of my Bible so I could just hold it all. And of course, there I am in the darkness standing under the light. And every bug in the forest <laughs> saw that light. And I'm absolutely convinced they not only saw the light, but they saw a very stupid white man standing <laughs> under the light. And they thought, let's give him a memory of Africa <laughs> that he will never forget. And so as I'm standing under the light, I just not. It was like standing on the runway of Heathrow Airport. I was just getting pelted with bugs. There were things dropping onto my Bible I've never seen before. <laughs> and you were trying not to react. You know, man of God, full of faith, full of, full of boldness. Trying not to react. Like, what is that? As I'm preaching the word of God. And I was getting pelted. I was trying not to swallow stuff that I shouldn't swallow. It was all going on. Amazing, amazing. Never, ever forget it. And all of that carnage was caused by one 60-watt bulb. Not one of these that's toasting me at the front here. Not one of these. A 60-watt bulb caused carnage. Why? Because it was enough to pierce the darkness. I know you're sitting there and you're going, John, all that light stuff and those stories and planes and squash, that's all right for you. But, but you don't know me. No, now listen to me carefully. If Jesus is in you, I don't need to know you. If Jesus is inside you, you actually have more light than the darkness around you. Yeah, but my life's not perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah, but I haven't got it all together yet. Doesn't you, listen, if we wait till we get it all together, no one will get saved. Come on. There's enough light in you to create illumination in a dark world that where, where people go who are sitting in darkness, who don't know any different, who go, wow, what's that? What's that over there? What does Monica have? What is that? What's going on in your life? What's going on in my life? And they see something. Let your light so shine before men that they may see. That they may see. That they may see your good works. And then praise your Father in heaven. And listen, I know in work you're the only Christian. And you'll feel like a little 60 watt light bulb. But keep shining. Keep shining. Keep shining. Keep shining. I know you may be the only Christian in your street, but keep shining. You may be the only Christian in your block of flats, but keep shining. You may be the only Christian in your family. You're going home today after the fun day to carnage. But keep shining because I'm telling you, even though you think your 60 watt bulb is not making any impression, it is piercing the darkness all around you. And people will see it. 
So I want to encourage you, let your light shine. Even if it's just a weak light or a, or a little light, or you've only been a Christian a week, you've got more light in you than the darkness that is all around you and the world around you desperately, 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 desperately needs to see your 60 watt bulb. Because without a light, they are convinced that darkness is normal. Darkness is not normal. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let there be light. That's the normal. The normal is not darkness. The normal is light. They've got so used to the darkness that they're convinced this is normal. And it's not until somebody flicks on a wee bit of light that they go, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Maybe my normal's not normal. Maybe my darkness is not the way I was designed to live. Maybe there is a light alternative. And I want to encourage you in the midst of this wonderful fun day and family day, when we're together and sharing the glory of the kingdom of God, having fun, laughing, doing stuff, enjoying each other. It's all magnificent. And actually, my passion, one of my great passions in this hours, is that more and more people get to catch this, get to experience this, get to be touched by the power of Jesus. So, as we draw this service, as, as I draw my, my talk to a close, let me encourage you. Let, let me encourage you. Be intentional. Holy Spirit, where could my light sit that could change my world? I want to encourage you. Don't just be intentional, but, but actually look, look around your world. Pray, absolutely. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you, absolutely. But at the same time, open your eyes. The opportunity could just be right in front of you. And if with your eyes open, you see an opportunity to share the light. Even, even if you feel weak and not very capable and not very confident in your faith, the light of Jesus within you is enough to illuminate the darkness around you. Why don't you stand with me and let me pray for you. The band are going to lead us in a, in a great song as we conclude. You are the light of the world. You. You are the light of the world. They're not my words. They're not the words of a positive psychology textbook. They're the words of Jesus to his followers. They're the words of Jesus to me and you. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. So Lord Jesus, I pray that as your light in the darkness, you will help each one of us to be intentional. Lord, I pray every person in this room will have the courage to pray an intentional prayer about being intentional. Holy Spirit, where do we need to sit this week? What dressing room do we need to be in? What squash court do we need to be on? What table do we need to be sitting at? Lord, what person in our world do we need to be beside in the coffee break so that your light 
will shine. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that this week our eyes will be open just to see what's all around us. A baby crying and a young mother struggling. An old person who can't get out of the house because they're afraid. A family in debt and broken. People just lost and needing hope. Lord, all around us, I pray that we will open our eyes just to see. And maybe this week, maybe this week, as we open our eyes, there just could be one moment this week where the light shines. Pray, Lord Jesus, for every person who feels weak in their faith, who feels that they're not very good Christians, that, that actually, you know, there's a lot to learn yet. Lord, I pray that even, even for those, even for those who feel like weak 60 watt bulbs, that Lord, this week, your light will shine in them and through them. Even in our human weakness, the divine light of Christ will shine and lives will be changed. So Lord, let your light shine in us let your light shine through us and may this week the darkness be driven back because the people of God intentionally and deliberately place their lights on a hill, place their lights on a lamp and allow their light to shine before men. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's clap our hands.